they opened Disneyland in 1956. Nothing worked. Yeah, but John, if the Pirates of the Caribbean breaks down, the pirates don't eat the tourists. Try to imagine yourself in the Cretaceous period. You get your first look at this six-foot turkey as you enter a clearing. He moves like a bird, lightly bobbing his head. And you keep still because you think that maybe his visual acuity is based on movement like T-Rex. He'll lose you if you don't move, but no, not Velociraptor. You stare at him, and he just stares right back. And that's when the attack comes, not from the front, but from the side. From the other two raptors, you didn't even know were there. Because Velociraptor's a pack hunter, you see. He uses coordinated attack patterns, and he is out in force today. And he slashes at you with this six-inch retractable claw, like a razor, on the middle toe. He doesn't bother to bite your jugular like a lion, say. No, no. He slashes at you here, or here. Oh, well. Or maybe across the belly, spilling your intestines. The point is, you are alive when they start to eat you. So, you know, try to show a little respect. Okay. Have you ever had something or seen something or read something that has so much everything that you've ever seen or so cool or so interesting to you that it becomes your Star Trek or your Star Wars? It's your, your crazed fandom thing. That's the excerpts that you heard in the beginning there. And that was Richard Attenborough and Jeff Goldblum and and Sam Neill. And that's from Jurassic Park. And Jurassic Park is my Star Wars or my or my Star Trek. They're my things that that I just I just love that stuff so much. I can watch them over and over and over and over and over again. I even have shirts that say Raptor Trainer, and that's my that's my full job. I'm an after I'm a Raptor Trainer. Sorry, sorry, Mr. Grady. Sorry, Owen, but that's me, Raptor Trainer. There are a few things that Crichton took liberties on, which you can imagine is easily understood. Easily understood, he would, because he's writing a book and it's fiction. That makes sense. But there are some things that he took liberty on, and there are some things that the movie took liberty on as well, that just really aren't historically accurate. And anyone who's seen or listened to a previous episode of mine knows there are a few things that aren't actually very true. Now, you can respect the heck out of them because they were trying to make a movie, and that was the great thing about it. But a lot of the things that um, was mentioned that, that if you like, like Alan Grant just said, like Sam Neill, as Alan Grant just said, if you you think if you don't move, just like the T Rex, he'll lose you. Well, that's not true. The T Rex's vision isn't based on movement. So if you stay in one spot, you stand still. The T Rex still sees you. The T Rex still knows you're there, and you're in just as much trouble as if you started running. So, and. The other parts are true. How everything else about a raptor is true. How they hunt, that's true. That actually happened. There's a scene 
with uh, Robert Muldoon. There's a scene in the movie where that, that is actually how they hunt. Um, the clever girl. That thing. That's how raptors hunt. Now, there isn't, they're not six foot turkeys. They're not that tall. They're about, like I said, they're about the size of maybe below, maybe below your knees, below your calf. They're like, they're like a turkeys, only much, 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 much smaller. They, now, the dinosaur that they're based on for the movie, for the movie came into and what Crichton based his raptors on, the six foot turkeys, is, is something called the Deinonychus. And it, and there's a lot of, I've, I've studied it and taken notes and gone to Wikipedia and a lot of this is going to be from that. And stuff that, just found, that I found very interesting about the Deinonychus that I wanted to mention, wanted to get into. It's a genus of dromaeosaurid theropod dinosaurs with one described species. Deinonychus and, and I can't get this part right, Deinonychus and Tyropus, this species, is, it could grow from, it could grow up to 3.4 meters and live during the early Cretaceous period, about 115 to 108 million years ago. <coughs> Sorry, just allergy attack. And this is allergy season, so my coughs and sneezes just come on and they're just full bore. <clears throat> it it usually lived from the mid-Aptian to, to the early Albi Albion stages. Those words I have problems with. Fossils have been, have been recovered from from Montana, Utah, Wyoming, and Oklahoma in the rocks of the Cloverleaf Formation, Cedar Mountain Formation, and Antlers Formation. Though teeth may belong to, di belong to the Deinonychus have been found much farther east as far as Maryland. And a lot of this, and this is actually surprising to me right now, a lot of this is how much I don't actually have to refer back to Wikipedia or for, refer back to my notes. This is a lot of stuff just coming from memory. Paleontologist John Ostrom's study of Deinonychus in the early 1960s revolutionized the way scientists thought about dinosaurs, leading to the dinosaur renaissance, and igniting the debate on whether dinosaurs were warm-blooded or cold-blooded. Before this, the popular con conception of dinosaurs had been one of plodding reptilian giants, which people know today to definitely not be the case. They're not, they are giants, but they're not plotting. They never really plotted. Ostrom noted the small body, sleek horizontal posture, and retite like spine, and especially the enlarged rap raptorial claws on the Deinonychus feet, which suggested an active, agile predator. Terrible claw, which is which is what the Deinonychus meant or what they referred to. Terrible claw refers to the unusually large sickle-shaped talon on the second toe of, of each hind foot, which is where Crichton and the movies got the idea for the Jurassic Park raptors' claws. If you see in the scenes where 
the raptors are chasing Lex and Tim through the kitchen, you see a raptor open the door and you see him walking around the kitchen where he's tapping. He's tapping his, his claw on the ground. And that's that's borrowed from the Dionychus. That's something that the Dionychus could do. And they're more they're more they're closer in size to what the movie and Crichton's book had portrayed them as, had portrayed them to be. The fossil why I can't remember this. I, I believe it was like YPM 5205 preserves a large, strongly curved, strong curved in life. I can't remember the name of the claw either. Archosaurs in life. Archosaurs have a horny sheath over this bone, which extends in length. This is they. They were thought about to be kind of like archosaurs, and they had similarities there. So that's where the word archosaur comes from. Ostrom looked at crocodile and bird claws and reconstructed the claw for the skeleton as over 120 millimeters or 4.7 inches long. The species name Anturopus means counterbalance, which refers to Ostrom's idea about the function of its tail. As in other dromaeosaurids, the tail vertebrae have, been a, have a series of ossified tendons and super elongated bone processes. These features seem to make the tail into a stiff counterbalance, but a fossil of the very closely related Velociraptor, the Velociraptor monglionis, or monglionis, I the Velociraptor mongolian species of Velociraptor has an, arc, has an articulated tail skeleton that is curved literally in an long S shape. This suggests that in life, the tail could bend to the sides with, high degree, with a high degree of flexibility. In both the cloverly and antlers formations, Deinonychus remains to remains have been found closely associated with those of the ornithopod tenontosaurus. Teeth discovered associated with tenontosaurus specimens imply they were hunted, they were hunted or at least scavenged upon by Deinonychus. Fossil now fossil remains of Deinonychus have been recovered from the cloverly formations of Montana and Wyoming primarily. The, the roughly contemporary antlers formations of Oklahoma and North America were also where they were found, but not as prominently as in Montana and Wyoming. The cloverly formation has been dated to the late Aptian through early Albion stages of the early Cretaceous. At about 115 to 100 to 108 MAs, or 108 years ago, 108 million years ago, 108 million years ago. Make sure I got my time. That I had to check, because the dates I'm not so good at. Additionally found, additionally found in the Arundel clay fasces from the mid-Aptian of the, of the Potomac Formation, to the Atlantic coastal plains of Maryland may be assigned to that same genus as the Deinonychus. 
No, if you go onto Wikipedia, and if you look around on Wikipedia, you can see diagrams of the claw that it looks like the Deinonychus had. And it looks like exactly like the claw on the foot that was adapted for the raptors in Jurassic Park. And it's just, and that just more, more supports and fortifies the theme and the belief that the Deinonychus was the inspiration for Michael Crichton's and Steven Spielberg's and Con Trevorrow's, their Velociraptors. Though I would argue that sometimes the Velociraptors that, that Leo Blue and Delta and all those other ones that came around in Jurassic World were there because they had been established by their predecessors in Jurassic Park. So it's it's very there's a lot of vagueness here and a lot of things I'm trying to get down that I'm trying to search in my memory and remember. There's something about something called a megadontosaurus. There I'm trying to find and I have to go back to my notes here. And find he inf- he informally called an animal he found Adaptosaurus agilis and made preparations for describing it. When having the skeleton specimen AMNH AMNH thirty fifteen put on display but never finished his work. Formerly he had the skele- a skeleton he found formerly named Medico- Me- Megadontosaurus, but because he couldn't he couldn't you know, he couldn't classify it completely. John Ostrom reviewing his his materials material decades later realized that the teeth came from the teeth came from Deinonychus, but the skeleton came from a completely different animal. He renamed this skeleton Microvenator. A little more than thirty years later, in August nineteen in August nineteen sixty four, uh, Ostrom led an expedition from Yale's Peabody Museum of Natural History, which discovered more skeletal material near Bridger. Expeditions during the following two summers uncovered more than 100,000 bones, among which were at least three individuals. Since the association between various recovered bones was weak, making the exact number of individual animals represented impossible to determine properly, the type specimen of Deinonychus was restricted to the complete left foot and partial right foot that, dis- that definitely belonged to the same individual. The remaining specimens were cataloged at, in 50 separate entries at Yale's Peabody Museum, although they could have been from as, f- from as few as three individuals. Though they, because they don't know, they, don't, they can't classify it as to if they're from one or three or six or two. They, it, it, they, they could be, and they, they can't really classify it. Ladder study, later study by Ostrom and Grant E. Meyer, analyzing their own material as well as, as well as the previous Depatosaurs in detail, and found, found them to be the same species. Ostrom first published his findings in February 1969, giving all the referred remains the same name or and the new name of Deinonychus and Antarophus. The specific name Antarophus refers to counterbalancing and also refers to the likely purpose of a stiffened tail. 
In July 1969, Ostrom published a very intensive monograph of the on the Dinonychus. Though a myriad of bones was available by 1969, many important ones were missing or hard to interpret. There were few post-orbital post skull, skull elements, no femurs, no sacrum, no furcula or sternum, missing vertebrae, and ostrum thought, only a tiny fragment of a, of a curacoid. Ostrom's skeletal reconstruction of Deinonychus included a very, a, a very unusual pelvic bone, a pubis that was trapezoidal and flat, unlike that of other theropods, but which was the same length as the ischium and was, which was found right next to it. In 1974, Ostrom published another monograph on the shoulder of Deinonychus in which he realized that the prebus had not had that he had described was actually a corusoid, a shoulder element. In the same year, another specimen of Deinonychus was discovered and excavated in Montana by Stephen Orzak during a Harvard University expedition headed by Ferris Jenkins. The discovery added several new elements, well-preserved from femora, pubes, a sacrum, and better ilia, as well as, as, well as elements of pes and metasaurus, metasaurus, pes, P-E-S, pes, and metatasar, metatasus, M-E-T-A-T-A-R-S-U-S. I, as you heard, I stumble over those words. Sorry. Ostrom described the specimen and revised his skeletal, skeletal restoration of Deinonychus. This time, it showed the very long pubis, and Ostrom began to suspect that they may have been a little re retroverted like those of birds. A skeleton of Deinonychus, including bones from the original and most complete specimen, can be seen on display at the American Museum of Natural History. With another specimen on display at the Museum of Comparative Zoology at Harvard University. The American Museum and Harvard specimens are from a different loca locality than the Yale specimens. Even though even these two skeletal mounts are lacking elements, including the sterna, sternal ribs, furcula, and gastrella, gastralia. Even after Ostrom's work, several small blocks of lime encased material remained unprepared in storage at the American Museum. These consisted mostly of isolated bones and bone fragments, including the original matrix of surrounding or surrounding rock in which the specimens were initially buried. An examination of these unprepared blocks by Gerald Grelet Tinner and Peter Makovici in 2000 revealed an inter interesting overlooking feature. Several long, thin bones identified on the blocks as ossified tendons, structures that helped stiffen the tail of the Deinonychus, turned out to actually represent gastralia, or gastralia's abdominal ribs. More significantly, a large number of previously unnoticed, unnoticed fossils, eggshells, were discovered in the rock matrix that surrounded the original Deinonychus specimen. 
in subsequent more detailed in more subs in a subsequent more detailed report, the eggshells Grelet Tinner and McCovicky concluded that the egg had almost belonged certainly belonged to the Deinonychus, representing the first dromaeosaurid egg to be identified. Moreover, the external surface of one eggshell was found in close contact with the Gastralia, suggesting that Deinonychus might have brooded its own egg might have brooded its its eggs. This implies that Deinonychus used body heat to transfer as a mechanism for egg incubation. Indi indicates an endothermy, endothermy similar to modern burns. Further study by Gregory Erickson and, co and his colleagues finds that this, that, that this individual was 13 or 14 years old at the time of its death, and its growth had plateaued. Unlike other theropods, in their study of specimens found associated with eggs or nests, it had finished growing at the time of its death. Based on a few mature, on a few fully mature specimens, Deinonychus could reach 3.4 meters, or 11 feet, in length, with a skull length of, a, of 410 meters, or 16 inches, and a hip height of, 80, of 0.87 meters, or 2.9 feet, a weight of 161 pounds, though is Though there's a higher estimate from 161 pounds to, I want to say, about 220. The skull was report. The skull was equipped with powerful jaws, lined with around 70 curved blade-like teeth. Studies of the skull have regressed a great, a great deal over the decades. Ostrom reconstructed the partial imperfectly preserved skulls that he had as a triangular broad and fairly similar to Allosaurus. Tri as triangular broad and fairly similar to Allosaurus. Additional, additionally, additional Deinonychus skull material and closely related species found with good three-dimensional preservation show that the palate was more vaulted than Ostrom had thought, making the snout far narrower while the while the juggles while the jugular jugulars or juggles I'm not clear as to what the word says I had to, I wrote it kind of funny while while his juggles jugular one of the two flared broadly giving greater stereos, stereoscopic vision the skull of Deinonychus was different from that of Velociraptor however in that it had it had more robust it had a more robust skull roof like that of like that of Dromaeosaurus, and did not have the deep, the depressed nasals of the Velociraptor. Both the skull and the lower jaw had had skull openings, which reduced the weight of the skull. The Deinonychus, the an, the anti orbit the anti the Deinonychus the anti the antiorbital feature a skull opening between the eye and nostril was particular was particularly large. Deinonychus possessed large hands with three claws on each forelimb. The first digit was the shortest and the second was the longest. Each hind foot bore a sickle-shaped claw on the second digit, which was probably used during predation. The size compared to 
a human. The Deinonychus compared to a human. A Deinonychus was more closely to, to just above your waist. Or just about your waist, a little bit above that. Whereas the Velociraptor was just, just at your knee, or a little bit below that. So you can see there's a significant height difference. Meaning that, again, going back to saying that the Jurassic Park Velociraptors were more closely resembled out of after the Deinonychus. The similarities with the Deinonychus. Because, let's be honest, when, you're, when Crichton and the movie was crafting, who's going to be scared by, who's going to be scared by little tiny chickens about the size of your knee, up to your knee running around? Now, yes, those are incredibly vicious, evil chickens running around, but who's going to be scared by chickens running around, and who's going to be, who, how is that going to scare someone? Now, yes, if you fall or you're kneeling down or whatever, then a chicken who looks like that is going to scare the crap out of you. But, you know, you never know. No skin impressions have ever been found in association with the fossils of Deinonychus. Nonetheless, the evidence suggests that the Dromaeosauridae, including Deinonychus, had feathers like Velociraptors did. The genus Micro Microraptor is both older, older geologically, and more primitive, and, and, and more primitive phylogenetically than Deinonychus. And within the same family, multiple fossils of Microraptor preserve van feathers with, with the, like those of modern birds on the arms, legs, and tail, along with covert and contour feathers. The Velociraptor is geologically younger than Deinonychus, but even more closely related. A specimen of Velociraptor has been found with quill knobs on the ulna. Quill knobs are, quill knobs are where the, fo the follicular ligaments attached, and are a direct indicator of feathers of, a modern, of the modern aspect. The Deinonychus is one of the best known Dromaeosaurid species and also a close relative of the much smaller Velociraptor, which is found in younger late Cretaceous age rock formations in Central Asia. Now, the raptors are found, like, like, not like you just heard, the raptors have tend to be found more in the Asia area, in the Central, in the Central Asia area. The Deinonychus was traditionally found in Montana, Utah, Wyoming, and Oklahoma primarily in the Cloverleaf Formation, Cedar Mountain, and Antlers. The Velociraptor, as you've heard, kind of goes back to Central Asia. So there's, there's a significant separation of where they're, where they're from and where they're commonly from. But there's, there's a lot of similarities between, between the two species, the two species of what they were. Um, now... The of of the movies that got close to what the raptors actually were like was Jurassic Park three, and the Velociraptors were actually more closely in resemblance to that. They had kind of like a featherness to them, and they were closer to that. Now, they they were they were horrifying and scary, yes, but when you're watching the Jurassic Park, you're you're not gonna if you see these feathered dinosaurs come out 
it takes you a minute to go, okay, those are the raptors. And they're 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 hunting. So why are so hold on, I gotta get my mind around the raptors, why the raptors look like that. I actually more expect them to look like Jurassic Park and the Lost World and Jurassic or the two Jurassic Worlds. So they kind of they kind of changed them. They had to change them back to the way they had originally portrayed them, and they had to go back to that. And it's kind of so people would accept it more. And there's a lot of things since we don't know, they don't know a lot about. I guess when Jurassic Park was coming out, they didn't know that much about the Dinonychus. They didn't have that much information, so they didn't want to get into it. They didn't want to created another another dinosaur they had already established the raptor they didn't want to create another dinosaur that looks so much like the raptor it might throw audiences off and the audiences might not know exactly what they were talking about or where they were what what was going on so it might be harder for the people to follow and it might be harder so they they didn't they didn't focus on the dinonychus they they kind of they kind of said okay we're going to make this new dinosaur that actually existed. So the Velociraptor actually existed, but we're gonna we're gonna make him more towards make them more towards what toward, towards the Dinonychus because the Dinonychus was, was was larger and more feared, and it could be more feared. So we're gonna make him closer to that, and then I guess through how Jurassic World came into existence, you gotta. You gotta have, you gotta have these these villains. You gotta have them. I guess see a good side or see a light, and I guess that's how they how they had to kind of bring bring Owen in is to try and say maybe these maybe these villains these these creatures can be tamed and can be controlled and. Can we get someone to to train them and to work with them? And it was, and that's the kind of thing that threw me off. Honestly, one of my my knowledge of Voluminous sometimes knowledge about the raptors and the Dinonychus and dinosaurs as well was that there's the, you, raptors weren't weren't and Dinonychus as well and T Rex too weren't dinosaurs that had an emotional side yes they were very the raptors were very smart and very clever dinosaurs as was the t-rex but they didn't have a redeeming side like these were supposed to be hunters and villains and and evil creatures that did what they had to do to survive and did what they had to do to keep themselves alive and to keep themselves going and they would they would attack their prey whatever wherever they could and however they could and to make them kind of get kind of weak and kind of kind of kind of heroic yes you wanted to you didn't people wouldn't get into a movie or people wouldn't you wouldn't draw tickets if all you saw was was villainy and all you saw was these bad dinosaurs, it'd be hard to draw. And you, so you had to have you had to have someone come to the aid. You had to have someone 
show a strong side. So I get that they wanted to make Blue and they wanted to make the other Raptors kind of a hero. And they they had so they kind of had to do that. And so there's things about the dinosaurs and then Jurassic Park and there's things about that they didn't get right and things that were kind of off. But it's still it's still a phenomenal movie and a great thing. And it's just there's a lot of stuff that I could go on and on about because I none of us has the time for that. But um, so thank you all so much for hanging in there with me. Thank you all for sticking around as long as you have and as long as you can. Thank you all so much for listening. Hang on. There's going to be a little more in the end. Hang in there. Want to check out the best podcast and best YouTube channel out there? True, true friends of this podcast? Check out Fantastic Cruising over on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting devices and services. Give them a five-star review. Head on over to YouTube. Look up Fantastic Studios. Give them a five-star review and give them comments. They'll love that to death. They are the greatest podcast out there. Give them a shout-out. go to Vegas, visit the best places all around the Strip and all around downtown, all around the surrounding areas, check out the best vlogs for Vegas anywhere on YouTube at Brar Frederick over on YouTube. B-R-O-R Frederick, F-R-E-D-R-I-K over on YouTube. Go over to Brar Frederick. Subscribe to his channel. Click that bell icon. Click that Hit those those like those like up thumbs. Give give Brar a follow. Give Brar a look. You'll really love what you're seeing. He's an awesome streamer, the best Vegas streamer, and the best thing to watch while you're in Vegas before you go to Vegas, just to experience Vegas as a whole. Please join me in supporting and giving to the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project. When you donate to the Pride Foundation, you join thousands of supporters building a better, safer, more equitable world for LGBTQIA people and their families. Every gift, whether $1 or $1,000, makes an impact for real people and ripples outward into our communities. There are many different ways to join and help the fight. Also go on to their websites for the Pride Foundation and the Trevor Project and donate and help in any way possible. The Trevor Project offers support and help for LGBTQIA youth all over the country and all over the world. Please show them some love and give them some support.